2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to pick up reading in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. You'll find these similar words. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. Lord, give us ears that we might hear the truthfulness of your word. Father, use it to prick our hearts. Lord, use it to to show us where we stand in relation to you, Father. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys, go ahead and be seated. Over the past few weeks, we've uh, been on this journey, if you will, of going through some of the most foundational elements of the Christian faith. We began by looking at the authority and the authenticity of the Scriptures. Uh, Everything that we believe about being a follower of Christ is based upon what we learn in the Scriptures. And so if we don't have a foundation of what we believe about the Bible, everything else from there is kind of off, if you will. And so we began with that. Then we began to, we we looked at uh, Jesus. Is he really God as he claimed to be? And if he's not, he must be a liar. And so we we came to the conclusion that he, he really is who he said he was, and that's God. Last week, we looked at the purpose of the church. And today, we're looking at what is this idea of salvation. If you've missed our some of the previous messages, they're online. You can go back and listen to them. But today and even next week, we're looking at this idea of of salvation. Where today we're asking these questions: What is salvation? How can someone be saved? What does salvation really look like? And then next week we'll be looking at: Okay, what happens after I come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior? Salvation happens at a point in time. Uh, for me, I can remember very specifically October twenty second, two thousand and one. So, what happens after that? Why? Why is it? You, you guys have seen people like this. Why? Why is it that some people they come to know Jesus Christ and man, uh, they just really fall in love with Jesus and and they get it and, and they become faithful followers and and God uses them in mighty ways. I'm not saying that their life is perfect, 
But then there are others, they come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they still struggle. Like, uh, their sins, I mean, they just don't put away their sins. Well, why is that? Why, why don't they grow in their relationship with Christ? And so uh, that's going to be next week. And don't forget, we'll have, uh, have a meal next week. And so it's going to be a big Sunday. And so make sure that you are here next week. Now, when I think about salvation, what salvation really is, it, it brings me back to my own story of how I became a follower of Christ. It, it really takes me back to when I was a child. Uh, some of you in this room, uh, you may be able to relate to, to my story. Uh, when I was a child, my grandparents drugged me to church every single Sunday. Anybody else, you were drugged to church as a child? I mean, that's just the way, way it was. And my grandparents were old school. Like, I mean, you know, Joshua, where's Joshua this morning? Where are you? You're back here, you know, shorts, flip-flops. You know, we try to teach our children that, you know what, God's way more concerned about your heart than he is about your appearance, although, you know, there's still some boundaries there. But my grandparents, you better have on dress clothes. How many of y'all remember members-only coats? I mean, my grandparents, you had to have your members-only coat. Don't, don't wear that members-only coat to school. That's your church coat, right? And then on Easter, you had to have the bow tie or the tie. And, I mean, it's, it's, that's just the way my grandparents were, okay? And, and I can remember when I was, like, Joshua's age, I went forward one Sunday morning, and I prayed the prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. And then I went forward and was baptized a few Sundays after that. And some of you have heard me say this, but I grew up with me and my brother, my two cousins. We lived at my grandparents' house until I was in fifth grade. And all of them, I'd, I'd seen them go up and get baptized. Now, we, we went to a church that ran like 500 on Sunday morning. And so, I mean, when baptism, I mean, you're up there in front of like 500 people. That was, that was them. And I was like, you know what, I want to be like them. Have, I mean, if you had older siblings, I mean, every, every younger sibling wants to be like their older sibling. And so, you know, that, that was what we did. And, man, I just went for it because I really wanted to, to be like them. And I, I can't really never remember living my life for Jesus. Like, I mean, I, I mean, even in fifth grade, I was, I was cussing like a sailor. I mean, it would go on to, to alcohol and to drugs and, and a lot of other things that I don't even want to, I mean, even embarrassed to mention in, in church. I, I never remember living my life for Jesus Christ until October 22nd, 2001. That day, I didn't just pray a prayer, although I, I prayed. But that was the day I fully surrendered my life to Jesus. And if you, would, if you were to have asked me prior to October 22nd, 2001, Heath, are you saved? Yeah. I prayed the prayer. Yeah, I was baptized. I'm a Christian. But I believe if I had died before October 22nd, 2001, I think I'm just an eternity separated from God. Is what the Bible calls hell. And so when we talk about understanding what salvation really is, I mean, this is a big deal. Because you see, saying a prayer at some point in time in your life, that, that doesn't mean you're saved any more than putting wings on you makes, makes you a bird. Okay? I mean, there, there's got to be this idea that you've surrendered your, your life to Jesus. And so today, we're going to walk through, okay, what is salvation? Now, each one of my points is really just going to, to build upon this this overarching definition of, of what I believe to be a biblical idea of salvation. It's, 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 you, you find it clearly here 
in this passage. And so here, here's the first thing I want to say about salvation. What is it? Salvation is ultimately being reconciled to God. Now, if you are reconciled to God, that obviously means that there has to be a separation. In, between verses 18 and 21 in this passage, the word reconcile or reconciliation is, is given to us five different times. It speaks to the separation that we have from us and the Father. That's what sin does. Sin separates us from the Lord. Every single person in this room is born with a sin nature, right? That's why, you know, we're at this stage, it seems like we've been at this stage for forever, where we have a baby in our home. And, and, and some of you, you can remember back to when you had children or, or you know, family you know, around babies. You don't teach kids to lie. I promise you, it can't. It comes instinctively. You don't teach kids to be selfish. They have that on their own. Okay? Why is that? Because we're born with a sin nature. Right? We don't sin. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We, we mess up because we, we're messed up from the foundation. We're born with this idea that we have a sin nature. Now, my sin is going to be different from your sin. We struggle with sin in a multitude of ways. For some of you, you can, you can be just as honest as, I mean, honest Abe, I mean, you're honest to the core. You tell the truth even when it's going to be hurtful for you in the long run. And so you're just as honest, but then you struggle with, with things like sexual lust or greed and things like that. Others of you, you'll never struggle with sexual sin, but your pride will cause you to lie to others about all kinds of things in your life. It'll cause you to lie about how your marriage is, to how your kids are doing, to all sorts of things. Your pride will cause you to buy things that you don't need so that you can look good in front of other people. And so sin, it's, in, it's infected us, every single one of us. It causes division between us and the Father. Why? Because He's holy. In Him, there is no sin. If He were to allow sin in His presence, He would no longer be holy. Think about it like this. I've got a cup of water up here. I need a cup of water every Sunday morning. Now, what if I were to take this cup of water, it's a 16-ounce cup, and fill it to the rim, so 16 ounces. Then what if I were to take just a drop, say a milliliter of arsenic, and put in this cup of water? Would it affect just that milliliter, or would it affect the whole 16 ounces? The whole 16 ounces, right? That, that's what sin does. One sin affects the entire being. How many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? How many times do you have to commit adultery to be an adulteress? One. One sin makes you a sinner, just as, as one little drop of arsenic would infect this entire cup. So therefore, God cannot let uh, sinners into his presence. So what does the word reconciliation mean? I love what Warren Wiersbe said. Warren Wiersbe said, it means like a, a complete change, to be changed thoroughly in the dynamics of your relationship. Now, sometimes you, you've heard this word, justification. Uh, now, this, this, is, this is good right here. We've heard this idea of justification, okay? It, it's a church word, but justified means to be made right. Okay, I'm a sinner, God is holy. Uh, justification is a legal term. It means that, literally that the judge would look at you and say, not guilty. I know the evidence is stacked against you. I know that everything points to you being guilty. In fact, I know you are guilty. But I'm going to declare that you're not guilty. I'm going to declare that you're innocent. 
That's what God does to us. He, 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 gives us, he, he gives us this blank statement, if you will, that we are justified in His presence. But when we think about justification, there's no relationship there. When we think about reconciliation, it goes a step further. Reconciliation, here's what this would say. I'm a judge. This person right here, he's declared innocent. I know he's guilty, but I declare him innocent. But now I say, okay, now we're going to be reconciled together. You've wronged me, but now I don't have to do this, but now I want you to come and I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my best friend. I want you to be a part of my family. Do y'all catch that? You think about the cross of what Jesus did, the entire reason that Jesus went to the cross is not so that you could just be declared not guilty, but so that the Father would say, I want to be reconciled with you. We were separated, but now that Jesus has, has died for you, I won't not only want to declare you not guilty, I want to declare you not guilty and then bring you into my family and us have an intimate relationship with one another. For us to have a close bond with one another. So when someone, we think about someone who is biblically saved, here's what we're talking about. We're not talking about that they've said a prayer We're talking about the fact that this person was separated from the Father and now they are reconciled together. That's ultimately what salvation is. You go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. So here's the next question. Well, how are we saved? And you can add this to your definition. So it's being reconciled to God by faith in the sacrifice of Christ. We're reconciled how? By faith. Now catch this. Some of you have heard this a thousand times. But salvation is by faith, not by works. Look at verse 18. Uh, Verse 18 says, All this, all this salvation, it is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Verse 19 says that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And so salvation is a free gift, a gift of uh, grace a gift from the hand of the Lord. Now, here's what if you're not careful, here's what's going to happen. You're going to read verse 19 and begin to think that we're all saved no matter how we live, but that's not the point. The point is that God offers salvation to the entire world. You think about how many of y'all have heard John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever, whoever in the entire world believes in him could be could be. Saved. So for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him could be saved. Verse 21. This is a great verse. That's what we taught the kids, um, or a different translation of it, at the sports camp. For our sake, for us, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Christ knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's, let's take that in two points, two parts. First of all, Notice that this was the plan of the Father. It's not something that we could, we could do on our own. He made Jesus for our sake. He, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Uh, starting next Sunday night, we'll, we'll begin studying some of the uh, minor prophets. In Zechariah, Zechariah the prophet records this. He says, this is the Father speaking, Awake. O sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me. So you see what the father is saying there? Hey, I'm about to bring judgment on my son. Through the prophet Isaiah, he declared, Surely he has borne 
uh, our griefs and our sorrows he carried away. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God. Smitten by who? Of God. And afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of, for our well-being fell upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But now listen to this. But the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on him. You see, this was the plan of the Father. That he loved you so much that he had a plan in place that he could reconcile you to himself. Here's a secondary. So that in him we might become uh, the righteousness of the Father, or might become the righteousness of God. So catch this. Well, before we get to there, it says he made him who knew no sin to become sin. He made him to, to be sin. The Bible speaks over and over against the sinlessness of Christ. So the point that the Bible is making here is not that Jesus became a sinner for you, but the point that Jesus took the penalty of your sin. At Calvary, Jesus shed his blood for you, taking the wrath of God that was poured out for your sins. Now, the text says why he did that, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So think about it this way. At the cross, y'all with me? Y'all with me? At the cross, the Father poured out his wrath on his Son. And at the cross, you never see a better picture of grace and mercy. The cross is a picture of both. The wrath of God poured out on sin, but it's the, it's the offer of mercy and grace to you, that if you will by faith come and accept his sacrifice on your, your behalf, you can have your sins forgiven in Christ so that you might become the righteousness of Christ. It's like this. He takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. It's the greatest transaction that will ever take place. In the cross... God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him, in Christ, only in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, here's why I say that. There are a lot of people who talk about faith. Uh, it, we're in this election cycle, and we don't talk about politics, and so we're not trying to talk about politics, but every politician says, oh, I've got a great faith. But really, here's the question, who do you have faith in? Uh, Faith is not the object of, of, of your relationship with Christ. It's having faith in what Christ has done for you on the cross at Calvary. If you don't have faith in Christ, all you have is faith. That faith is not a salvation faith. You have to have faith in who Jesus is. We, can't, we say these things. Uh, my faith makes a, a big difference in my life. Or I have faith in God. Or I have faith in a higher power. Those things don't really make a difference. And you guys have just completely ignored everything I just said and copied the words on the screen that I haven't got to yet. It's the faith in who Jesus is in your life. But now here's the final thing that's been on the screen. It's evident by a changed life. And I almost struggled to put this in here. Because, you know, we live in this world that says, hey, I'm, I'm saved because I'm a good person. We live in this culture that says, I, you know, I'm... I'm saved because I went to church, or I'm saved because I did this, and, and I don't want to get into this idea that you know salvation is by works. 
But the scriptures are very clear here. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You are not saved by what you do, but if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Your life should look differently after coming to know Jesus than when it did before you knew Jesus. So think about it this way. We are not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. I'm not saved because I do good works. I do good works because I am saved. And so I want you to catch this very clearly. Every person, I want you to make sure you're hearing me. You cannot claim to have faith in Jesus for salvation and continue to live contrary to the teaching of Scripture. You cannot have faith, say that I'm saved and I love Jesus with all my heart, and continue to live contrary to what the Scriptures say you need to live in your life. That's why in the book of James, and the book of James gives us this great idea, demons. James says even the demons believe in Jesus and tremble in fear. Are demons saved? No, we would never say that, right? Even though they, they believe in Jesus. And so therefore, the same truth is true for us. Just because we say that we believe in Jesus, that doesn't necessarily make us saved. The question is whether or not we have surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. Mental agreement is not saving faith. Saving faith is evident by new life in Christ. Your desires change. Your habits change. Chains of addiction are broken. Relationships are mended. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. Now here's the deal. As a new creation in Christ... Look at the end of verse 15. You no longer live for yourself, but you live for the sake of the one who died for you and was raised. You see, how many of you in here are selfish? I'll raise both hands. Okay? Every single one of us in here are selfish. Here's this idea of, of, of salvation. You take self off the throne of your heart and you put Christ on the throne. If Jesus is not on the throne of your life, then something is wrong in your life. You you no longer live to make sure that all of your needs are met. You live to make sure that Jesus is being exalted in your life. You no longer live for this life. This world is not our home. We We live for a world that is to come. It impacts every single area of your life. It changes the way you treat your parents, whether you're 40 years old or whether you're 10 years old. It changes your work ethic so that others don't lose sight of Jesus because of your laziness. It changes the way in which you rear your children. Your goal is not to create good, well-behaved children, but faithful followers of Christ who want to make a difference for for His kingdom. Hey, listen, there are atheists that, that are very moral, very good people that on the outside... And they look better than half the Christians that claim to be followers of Christ. Okay, so just being a good person is not the point of being a follower of Christ. The goal of being a Christ follower is obedience to Jesus in all areas of life. Finally, when we think about the evidence of salvation, it is seen in our representation for Jesus as his ambassador. Twice in this text it speaks of him giving us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 20, it says, We are ambassadors for Christ. Make, God is making His appeal through us. 
And so here's the deal. Jesus died for all. But it is only those who surrender their life to Jesus that can be saved. And they will never do that according to Romans unless they hear somebody speak the truth to them. And so let's do this. Let's be a generation that rises up and says that simply asking Jesus into your heart without surrendering your life to him is not enough. Let's be a generation of people that says to a lost world that there is hope in the name of Jesus. Let's be a generation of people that will go to those with addictions and proclaim that there is freedom in the name of Jesus. Let's be a generation of people that proclaim that those who feel that they have no purpose in life, that Jesus died to give them purpose and that they are loved more than they can ever, ever imagine in the eyes of a God who gave his life for them. Let's be a people who will be willing to go across the tracks and proclaim that there is neither white nor black in the kingdom of God. Let's be a generation of people that will rise up and say, we will be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and we will do whatever it takes to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. Whether that's here, whether that's there, or whether that's everywhere to the ends of the earth. And we'll take the gospel and we'll be his ambassadors and we'll represent him well to the ends of the earth. May we be that people. Once you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a few moments. If you were to stand before the Father today, do you know that He would let you into heaven? Yeah, I encounter these people and sometimes they'll say, man, I hope I'm saved. I hope the Father will let me in to heaven. And yeah, the Bible says in 1 John five thirteen that you can know He says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. You don't have to go through life worrying. And today, if you're here, man, you're just doubting. I'm just not sure. And the Holy Spirit of God is just internally speaking. Today, I want you to surrender your life to me. Maybe, maybe you were like me and you're that kid who, or that person who prayed the prayer when you were young, but you never really meant it. You never remember living for Jesus. And today, the Spirit is saying, "Today, I want you to fully surrender. I don't want you to pray a prayer. I don't want you to, you know, to do this or do that today. I just want everything that you have, as great as you can give it, just surrender it to me." So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, man. Just during our invitation, it's a response where we respond to what the Word is said to us I just want to ask you if you'll be bold enough if you'll be courageous enough that when we stand to sing that you'll just get up from where you are and just take just walk to where I am I'll be standing right down front here say pastor today I want to surrender my everything to Jesus man Jesus died on a cross for you he, the Bible says he walked up a hill carrying a cross for you. 
you can get up from where you are and come and take me by the hand. Others of you, God's called you to be an ambassador. He's called you to represent him well. But you failed in that. There's just no other way to say it. He's a God of second chances. He's a God who offers forgiveness, who offers mercy. And today, I, I, I say this all the time, I, I'm not your priest. Jesus is your high priest. He lives to make intercession for you. And so today, would you just go to him? Jesus, forgive me. I'm not representing you well. I failed here. I failed there. And today, I, I, I just I sense that you're calling me to go more. I sense that you, you're calling me to make a bigger difference in my community. I'm, I'm sensing you, you want me to be more involved in, in, in helping in maybe with Toronto or Haiti or Indonesia. And he's calling you to, to be a bigger difference maker as you come. Now, Lord, I'm trusting that your spirit is working. And Lord, we've prayed for this, this time multiple times, multiple times, that you would work during this invitation. Lord, people need to respond. Lord, would they respond in obedience to what you're, you're doing in their life this morning? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The words are going to be on the screen. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand.